Welcome back into this week in hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Clem Costin scoring his first NHL goal, and he gets paid for that by headed back down to the American Hockey League, Joe. And after last night during my postgame show, a lot of fans fired up about the decision to send him down. A lot of fans feel like he never really got the shot to prove himself in the top six. He played... Uh, 13 minutes or somewhere around that his first night where he was very noticeable and then the last two games he only played about six and a half six minutes and 45 seconds before the blues decided to send him back down whoa whoa alex alex let's back up we we, we got to break down your first nhl goal call first okay we can do that. Don't don't. I mean, don't we? That that was your that was your first NHL goal call <laughs> well, for a player that scored his first NHL goal. Uh, I, I'm going to critique it here for a second. Okay, let's I thought hear the it. call was terrific. I thought the call was terrific. I didn't like how you said he he used the defenseman as a screen. Now that's the color. That that's what I bring to the table. I like you're it. Stepping on my toes. You're doing it. You're pulling a Chris Kerber and you're doing both jobs. <laughs> you know what? The one fear that I had going into that night when I when a goal happened was my excitement was going to take over and I was going to do what happened to Chris Kerber last night and the call where he goes, he scores. I was very worried that was going to happen for me. And thank God it didn't. Thank God it just stayed the way that that call came out where it was just a normal call for me. You nailed it, man. You had the lungs, and yeah, Curbs, Curbs was uh, fighting some prepubescent um, <laughs> demons last night in Nashville. He was he was a little high on a couple of those goal calls, but hey, no man, he did a, a terrific job. Back back to Clem, you know, I know I know some fans out there were, were excited to see him get here, and we're very sad uh, to see him go. And uh, I think they would have been sad to see him go, Alex, if even if he hadn't scored his first NHL goal and, and didn't look really good uh, in spurts. Um, the best, the best way I can shed light on, on this situation is you got to look at uh, the head coach and, and his style. Uh, Chief is, is a coach that he, he really wants to make, make sure players earn their stripes. I mean, Ivan Barbashev, he gets the call in the second line. Ivan Barbashev has earned Craig Berube's trust. Oscar Sunquist is the same situation. Robert Robert Thomas now, we're starting to see uh, under Robert Thomas, and he's starting to get more and more trust from Craig Berube, but that takes time. And I think that uh, for Clem Costin, yes, he does get his first NHL goal. I thought his first game was, was probably his best of the three games he played. The one area I will say that uh, needs improvement uh, is, is his decisions with the puck and his decisions away from the puck. Um, and that's what, what all you can, you can really boil that down. Uh, Alex, it's just hockey sense. You hear, you hear that term thrown around a lot lately is uh, hockey sense is a player of hockey sense. Uh, does Is he in the right spot with the puck? Is he in the right spot away from the puck? Uh, how can his line mates depend on him when the defenseman has the puck and he's looking up the ice for an outlet? Is Clem there? Is he on the board? Now, all that little stuff uh, to the casual fan, you kind of miss. But uh, I, I did see that that needs to improve. And the way for a young player, fortunately for Clem Costin, is to play a lot of games and, and to log a lot of minutes of pro hockey. Now, he's not going to do that with the St. Louis Blues. He is going to do that in the American Hockey League. So that 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 is why the decision happened, because this is a young kid again. And young kids need reps to increase hockey sense. And, and Clem right now, uh, with where he's at, it, uh, the American Hockey League is, is the best uh, situation for him. <laughs> I love this guy. I actually like the response from Joe Vitale after that. And didn't you tell him that uh, he needs to let him drop every once in a while? 
I said, I asked him, I go, those things dropped yet, Curbs? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tell you, we had, we had a lot of fun with that one. That's fantastic. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Well, you know the other thing, too, Joe, is... <laughs> <laughs> that might be that might be uh that's gonna go into the joe vitale vault i have a vault hey, for our listeners you? of joe vitale calls dating back to last season and i think that's gonna go to the top of that list my my goal is once a game i i, I would like to say something outrageous where even chris kerber uh, is caught off guard and it messes with his play-by-play and so i achieved it last night and i'll be looking to spice it up in some way tomorrow night versus tampa so, so see, that's all i can say so see listeners when you tune into the broadcast you always got to look for those uh, underlying uh pieces in a broadcast with joe vitale on the color commentary uh Ooh. back back to clem joe and to me and tell me if i'm out of reach here uh you played in both the nhl and the ahl you've seen highly touted prospects you've seen grinders in terms of getting the call up and being sent back down to me it really feels like this was a planned decision by doug armstrong and the blues front office of bringing costin up to play a couple of games you know i don't even know if he was expected to play three games I think the uncertainty of Troy Brower's tryout and the injury that happened to Sammy Blay kept him in St. Louis to play for three total games. But to me, it felt like the Blues wanted to give him a taste of the NHL, send him back down, and work on certain areas of his game so that when he gets that next call up, he's going to stay up permanently. Well, yeah, I think that you know it was definitely giving him a cookie, saying that we appreciate what you're doing down there and we haven't forgotten about you. So you call him up for that reason. I don't know, Alex, if I would call it uh, – I'm not, I'm not saying that you're saying this, but for anyone out there, I don't know if it was the plan all along just to get him three games or four games and then send him right back down. I, I think Doug Armstrong and, and Craig Berube uh, approached this from a day-to-day. They called him up. They wanted to see what he had. He played good in game one. They kept him in for game two. He played pretty decent in game two, so they kept him in for game three. But I thought as soon as he did drop off, that's typically when we would, when we would see him go back down. I, I will say – uh, one thing about this situation and for Clem and for every player for that matter that gets called up and then sent back down. Uh, his biggest days are, are right now, uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, because when GMs and coaches and assistant GMs send players back down, players in the same situation like Clem Costin, they're watching them. They're watching them for their attitude. They're watching them for how they approach things in the American Hockey League. Are they going to be pouty? Are they going to be moody? Are they going to be bad teammates? Are they going to have this facade that I don't belong here, I belong in the NHL? Are they going to get cocky? Are, are the work habits going to slip? Those are all the things over these next three to four days especially is going to be very important for Clint Costa. And I always tell players that when they get sent down, I go, listen, you're being sent down for a reason. The, mo- the one thing you can control right now is it's got to be your attitude because coaches, GMs, they all come together and they all are going to ask the same question. How, how's his work habits in practice? Does he seem grumpy? Does he seem moody? What's going on? But if he has a good attitude down there and he continues to work and progress and, and want to develop and, and show the Blues that he's hungry to get back up there, he will be back up here because he's a great player and he, he's got great tools in his toolbox. He's got size. He can use his physicality. He can get to that hard. And we've all saw with his shot as well. It's a pretty wicked little wrist shot he's got as well. So he's going to be a good player. He's going to be up here uh, at some point. But the biggest thing for Clem right now is to understand that he's got to have a good attitude down there. He's got to continue to work 
uh, and just be patient. It's 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 a very tough thing to do nowadays, especially with all us all us millennials, Alex, as our grandparents <laughs> would say. We're not the most patient um, of, of of categories as far as you look at the human race, but that's exactly what Clem has got to do. He's got to be patient and he's got to work and he's got to have a good attitude. Not always easy, uh, especially when you go. We saw him on the plane uh, last trip. He had a good suit on. He's sitting down in first class. He, you know, the fillets come right there. You got PBJs already made for you on the on the overhead bins. I mean, life is good. You're staying at the Ritz Carlton, but now he's going back to San Antonio, and now there's gonna be some long bus trips, and it's gonna be that cold pizza on the bus sometimes after games is your post game meal as you embark on another eight hour journey somewhere. So not always the most fun, but and it's not always easy to do. But but maintaining a good attitude throughout all this is gonna be important for his development. Joe, what do you what do you respond to the narrative of and I saw a lot of people sending me messages about this last night of, well, how's he going to how's he going to work on his game in the minors when he could be working on his game in the NHL? It's not the same. Is it the same? Well, the thing is you you can't be working out too many kinks in the NHL because this is the NHL and this is a uh, the best league in the world, and you need to win, and you need to win now. So, you know, it's it's almost one of those things where you can make the argument: uh, why why would a kid um, drive with a parent for the first year? Uh, why why does he just go out there and just practice by himself when he turns fifteen? I mean, he's still practicing, he's still logging hours because you need to be under supervision about making sure you're doing things the right way before you put yourself and your friends and your family when you turn 16 uh, behind the wheel and do something extremely dangerous and you can kill people. So uh, I know it's kind of an extreme example, but when you're in the National Hockey League, um, you, you can't be sitting down with the player every after every game and saying, hey, you made you know three turnovers here, uh, you had a miss hit here, you didn't go to the net here, and, and come on, Clem, like, let's go. These are the mistakes that keep happening. I know, Coach, I know I'm working on them. I'm sorry. I'm, just be patient with me. Like, it's one of those things where uh, the pressure to win, and we're, and we're seeing it all the time, Alex. Coaches are getting <clears throat> gassed left and right right now. Uh, the pressure to win is an all-time premium, and, and you can't have uh, players that are, are working through the process of learning the game in the National Hockey League, and that's why you have the American Hockey League. That's why you have the minors because that is, a, in my opinion, the second greatest league uh, in the world, and it's a good place to learn pro hockey habits. And once you have those dialed in and you feel like ripe and ready to go, then we're going to bring you to the – the uh, turkey dinner, and we're going to cut you open, and we're going to have some turkey. You know what I'm saying? Turkey dinner. Just getting us set for Thursday night, aren't you, Joe? Yeah, I'm excited. Are you, are you a dark meat or a white meat guy? I'm actually a zero meat guy. We're Italian. We go Italian style. Like, there's zero turkey for Thanksgiving. It's ravioli. It's lasagna. It's salami from the hill. Dude. Yeah. I'm coming to your house. I, know. I love that. It's hey, a good style right there. Hey, man. It's, it's Italian style all the way. It's all homemade. Get some stuff from the hill. We go all out. No turkey. See, I used to be like that when my when my nanny was here. We'd go to meatballs and rat. We actually had rabbit, which was kind of a nice uh, change up. But meatballs on on Thanksgiving dinner. But then I met my wife, and she's from the south, and she is. I mean, she's dialed in Thanksgiving. She's every summer or every uh, before every Thanksgiving, she comes up to me. She says, "All right, Joe, we're doing Thanksgiving right. I want. I don't want to see no meatballs or red sauce on the dinner table. We're doing turkey. We're doing stuffing. I, I know, honey, I got it. I got it completely. We're, we're going to do all the basics. I I understand completely." It can be Italian 364 days out of the year, but one day you're just going to go straight Southern and you're going to get all of that uh, turkey and you're going to get that fried food. Oh, the biscuits, all oh, the biscuits and gravy. Although that that's one meal that I just look at and I, and I just say, I can't put that in my body. That, that just, <laughs> that just does not, I, I don't, I, I love myself too much 
to put that thing in <laughs> my body. Alex, you know what I mean? Like, that's just like a sloppy mess, biscuits and gravy, no? Oh, it's a total sloppy mess. But for what I've been dealing with with all this med- medical stuff and dropping 12 pounds, I will put whatever in my body I need to to gain those 12 pounds back. Well, careful, careful what you wish yeah, for. Yeah, I was going to say I shouldn't have said that one. That's going to that's going to turn against me. I'm glad Chris Kerber's not in on this conversation right now. <laughs> hey, hey, I'll take it easy on you, but you got to see the, you, you need you need more time in the American Hockey League. Yeah, if you, if you would have said that around the NHL or uh, it would have you know, been over. Reference Clint Klassen. You've been done. Chris Kerber would eat you up and spit you out. He's done that numerous times. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. A couple of storylines around the National Hockey League that I want to touch on, including the Dallas Stars hot play and the NHL player safety jumping in possibly too quick. We'll talk with Joe about that next on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. We're back in on this week in hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Blues Tampa Bay tomorrow night, 6 o'clock puck drop with a 5 o'clock pregame show, Mitsubishi Electric pregame show. Here on 101 ESPN, 530, our BMW of West St. Louis pregame show, and then puck drop with Curbs and Joey a little after 6 o'clock. And the road trip continues after Tampa. They'll head to Dallas to take on the Stars who, Joe, are red hot right now. They're 9-0-1 in their last 10 games. They've won seven in a row. They're 14-1-1 since their rough start at the beginning of the season. And I know a lot of people are talking about how good Dallas is right now, but the part that strikes me about it is they're this good because their GM, their owner, their front office have had to call out their two leaders once again in Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. Well, this is the team that a lot of people, including myself, had projected to not maybe only take over the Central, Alex, but we're talking maybe the West and, and maybe a Stanley Cup contender. They were one bounce away last year from going to the Western Conference Final. They added some pieces uh, over the offseason. Look at Corey Perry, Pavelski, uh, the two veterans up top to hopefully get this thing uh, over the hump uh, to make it to a Stanley Cup Final again for Dallas. And, and they had a really slow start to the year. But now they're on fire, and you mentioned uh, yet another uh, in-house personnel having to call out their number one stars, and this time it was Jim Montgomery. And uh, basically at the beginning of the season, after the struggles of especially uh, Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, they're they're two uh, elite goal scorers and and players on that team that are signed to long-term deals. You know, he he said that uh, they're not playing good. They're actually playing awful. And Jim Montgomery even went an extra step to say that uh, he doesn't know what to do with them anymore. He he went into examples of what he's already done. He said the one we've done one on one meetings, uh, we've done the skates, we we we've, we've sat down and broke down video. I mean, uh, lots of different things. And he even said we don't know what's working. Nothing's really working right now. So, um, but again, you can almost kind of go for a full circle, which we talked about in the first hour, Alex. And this kind of comes down to uh, just coaching styles and understanding maybe. What motivates certain people? I know it's easy for us and for the casual fan to critique uh, Jim Montgomery, to critique uh, Mike Babcock or Mike Keenan. Um, but Jim Montgomery, he, he, he knows something that we don't know. And maybe Jamie Benn, maybe Tyler Sagan, maybe they've had these conversations before where he knows that these players specifically, they kind of need, need a kick in the butt. And, and maybe he looked at what happened last year with the owner and, and what happened as far as him calling those players out in the media. And we, and we saw something maybe come alive in Jamie Benn that Jim Montgomery hadn't seen in a while. Maybe he was super pissed off. Some players, 
some players they need to get mad. Like you got to get them mad. And and Jim Montgomery, he maybe he just knows the the key to getting those players going is is going that that route. So in some ways, you know, yes, it's maybe not a a coaching style that I prefer, and certainly players probably wouldn't like, but. But maybe Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan not only don't mind it, but actually they kind of uh, relish in it because it does kind of get them fired up. And uh, but I know one thing, man, they're they're on absolute fire right now. They're in Chicago tonight, and the and the Blues are going to be seeing them here in a, in a few short nights. Yeah, we'll we'll preview that game uh, coming up at the bottom of this hour. And, and Joe, sticking with that conversation, uh, what do you think that's like in a locker room then for you know the other twenty one guys that are going out there on a nightly basis and putting everything into it, but yet the two leaders who you know are off to slow starts and to be honest with you in those first 10-15 games they were very passive compared to what those two are doing now uh, does that change the dynamic of a locker room when when your head coach has to call out your two leaders <laughs> well you know Alex, I don't know specifically about the room in Dallas I think every room would handle it differently uh, I will say though uh, that hockey hockey players and, and and Alex you're around them all the time and you you see this so much they they have a uh, quirky sense of humor uh, they have great personalities and there are no feelings once once you walk into the locker room you check your feelings at the door and and everyone hey, it's, it's like, like that in the broadcast like, booth too <laughs> it's exactly it's like open hunting season <laughs> every time you go into the locker room so for me if if these kind of things happened on, on teams that I was a part of. Um, the best way to handle it from a team perspective, player to player, is to call it out and make it a joke very quickly. So I, I would imagine that someone on the Dallas Stars um, made a joke right at Jamie Benn and, and Tyler Sagan in front of everyone, and everyone laughed, and everyone just got it off their chest and just got it out into the open uh, because if they can't laugh about it and share some stories about it, um, it would drive the team away. So for a hockey personality, for these players, um, they they probably brought it to the attention in a in a humorous way um, to kind of get it out in the open and hopefully uh, not not let this thing dwell too too much longer. I'll say this: both Sagan and Ben have that personality that you feel like would do that to where they would be able to just laugh something off like that and completely brush it off to where, you know, some other guys in the NHL, and I don't know specifically who I'm thinking of, but, you know, I would imagine, or, you know, just take another game or another uh, sport, for example, you know, in football, I don't know if a quarterback is having that same reaction to a coach calling them out like a hockey player would be in terms of laughing it off and being able to just go out there and play their game after that. Well, I, yeah, I agree, and, and you know, I'll never forget the time we were in Calgary. Uh, I was with the Penguins. Um, I believe someone was doing an interview in the hallway after the game, and in the way the camera was shooting this player, uh, there was the door, the dressing door, to where all the players were getting uh, changed behind it. And I remember one of the players knew that, and they kind of opened the door a little bit. I'm not going to give away his name, but because he did that, Everyone um, saw Brandon Sutter's um, no no special place. I guess I'll just leave it at that, Alex. And, and it made it made headlines everywhere. Twitter completely blew up, and and I remember getting on the plane and and Brandon Sutter was talking to the GM at the time, Ray Shear, about what was going to happen and what was going on. And we're all waiting on the plane, and and Brandon Sutter he comes on the plane, and and we're all kind of wondering what is he going to say, and he just he comes down the lane and he goes. Anyone's wife want to see my dong? Uh, it's all over the internet. So, and we all started just dying laughing. So, you know, again, 
uh, players find ways uh, to to add humor to these very sensitive subjects um, because uh, these th- these seasons are too long, man. And this is a high intensity sport and a high intensity business. So uh, players need to make sure they're having fun, even in light of uh, some serious sensitive issues. That may be the best response to being exposed on national television <laughs> than walking onto a, a team plane or a team bus and say, "If anybody's wife wants to see me, I'm all over social." <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember I told the story to my wife when I got home, and she's like, "Did you look at it?" I was like, "Well, yeah, of course I looked at it." And and she's like, "I feel like I feel like I kind of got to look at it." I'm like, "Yeah, I feel like we all just kind of got just got you just want to see it, right?" Yeah, everybody's like, got to yeah, take a glance. Yeah, everybody's yeah, got to take course. a glance at least once. Yeah, if it's on social media, you got to take a glance. Um, exactly. I, I will say that it was uh, a little bit awkward the next time Brandon ran into Brandon, but uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. You can't address it. You just got to act like nothing happened. No, I, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about of you on Twitter. What? No. I, I, I think she may have said, hey, Brandon, good to see you. I've been seeing a lot of you lately or something like that. <laughs> at least she didn't make any tiny jokes to him. That would have been even better. You probably That's should, true. You probably should have teed her up for that one. Find a best way to do that with uh, with Sutter. That's right. <laughs> uh, another one, Joe, and this is this is kind of piggybacking off the Robert Bortuzzo suspension. But honestly, uh, there's a lot of suspensions going on around the National Hockey League this season, and you know some of them are warranted, some of them aren't as warranted. I think, but you know, it got me wondering the other day if if the NHL player safety is jumping in too fast to try and eliminate the physicality to hockey games because. You know, the, the suspension comes out on Robert Portuzo, but that's rightfully so. Um, but then you also see some other ones where it's an elbow and they're given two games to an elbow. It just seems like they're trying to eliminate physicality in general uh, in the game. You know, Alex, excuse me, when we do these games, there's a penalty, let's, let's say, is called in the first period. And maybe it's a soft call. And, and you will hear Chris Kerber almost religiously say this. He will say, which is true, you know, Joe – that penalty they called, it may be a penalty, but I have a, I have a rough time believing that they're going to be able to up, uphold that standard right. for the rest of the game. And and it, it always comes down to that because you'll, you'll see a play quickly right after that that's very similar, but maybe they don't call it. So then the coach is up in arms because you called the first one, but then you didn't call the second one. Well, then if the refs called the second one, then it's just, a, it's just penalties all night, which no one wants to see either. I look at the player safety situation in the same way. When when you make a soft call on a play, well, you have to uphold that standard across the league. And and that's what we're seeing because everything is comparables. Uh, you go buy a house. You want to know the comps in the area. Uh, when a player gets uh, disciplined, he, he has to look at, and the player safety has to look at, okay, what did that hit two weeks ago warrant? You know, someone got spit in the, in the face. And that's three games. Right. Um, you know, but then Robert Bortuzzo cross-checks someone, you know, almost breaks someone's back. Well, he's just going to get one more game. Like, if you were to ask Arvinson, you know, who suffered a couple MCL injuries on that play, if you were to ask him, what would you rather take, a, a loogie to the face <laughs> or an all-out cross-check from Robert Bortuzzo and be out for four to five weeks? I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, I'm, I take it to the bank that he would be uh, wanting to get loogied on, in my opinion. I think I'd um, take but the again, cross-check. It, you know, <laughs> well, maybe not. That was a thick but, you know, loogie. Being out, being out for, it, was, it was heavy, wasn't it? That was a yeah, thick loogie. Oh my goodness, that was gross. But you know, um, so that that's kind of going on, and I think that they've made a couple soft calls. 
And because of that, they have to try to uphold the standard because the history's there of the comparables of when they've thrown these things out. I'll be honest with you. I thought Robert Robert Bortuzzo, I'm, I'm, I'm his good buddy. I love Robert. I thought he could have got more than four games. I mean, to me, that was vicious. That is something that he, he even knows uh, he crossed the line. Uh, but I'm looking at uh, Rasmus Dahlin, uh, Alex, uh, in the game last night. Yeah. We're not going to see Chernick. Um, uh, Chernock, excuse me, tomorrow in Tampa. He's, he, he's a defenseman for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He just got suspended uh, for two games. Uh, he kind of just threw out a little shimmy with his forearm, and he's a big guy. And Darlene's a big guy too, but he was kind of crouching down, and he clipped them right up high. He's got two games for elbowing. To me, that is uh, it, it, I just don't see it. Um, I know his head contact is the is the principal point of contact. But it's just it's an extension of a forearm on a player who's kind of crouched down. And and I know that uh, you know why they do it, because they want to see more of what Connor McDavid and, and Dreisaitl are doing in Edmonton. They want they want the ice to be open. I mean, coaches now, because of all the stick infractions, they are telling players, don't even don't even lift your stick off the ice when you're defending. When you're tracking someone back to the neutral zone, if you're Robert Thomas tomorrow and you're on a back check, there's no reason to even get your stick up around their hips. I mean, so that's how they're coaching these players simply because of the penalties being called. And they're doing that because they want to increase scoring. Again, they want Sidney Crosby and they want Connor McDavid to get 192,000 points this year because that's that's what the fans are wanting to see nowadays. They want to see the speed. They want to see the goal. So I understand why player safety uh, is doing this and the fans need to understand that that is the reason. But at the same time, it's just it's a standard that is going to be very hard to keep upholding, especially when you look at some soft ones like we saw last night uh, there in Buffalo. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take another break. We'll come back for more on this week in hockey offense. Is there a certain aspect that's hurting the St. Louis Blues? We'll touch on that next here on 101 ESPN. Welcome back into this week in hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Out on the road for a three-game road trip, the St. Louis Blues, and one might ask, how does somebody pass the time away? Well, Joe Vitale passes the time away with two phenomenal movies on television. Well, I'm watching 40-Year-Old Virgin in the background now, Alex, between our breaks. Just great. And I, I just finished Cable Guy last night, which, is that not like Jim Carrey's maybe greatest movie of all time? I think it's one of the most underrated movies of Jim Carrey. Now, now in terms of greatness, Ace Ventura is always there. To me, his best movie will always be Liar, Liar. I don't think I've ever last, laughed harder at a Jim Carrey movie than at Liar Liar, but top three is Cable Guy. Man, Liar Liar, that was a great one as well. I forgot about that one, but you know we can't forget about Dumb and Dumber. I mean, Dumb that's and the Dumber. ultimate all, all, all-time comedy ever. Right? Yeah. I don't know. Every time, every time I watch the movie Liar Liar where he's in his office and he keeps trying to say that the pen is red and then he just keeps like attacking himself and then finally says it's royal blue was incredible. Well, hold on a minute, Alex. Before we go any further, me, myself, and Irene. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny about that movie? So I my parents took me to see that in theaters when it was out, which I think I was probably like twelve years old, but they didn't know what to expect with it. They thought it was like, you know, a decent Jim Carrey movie. But that was the worst Jim Carrey movie I think that was ever made. And the only thing I remember of that was a chicken's head being stuck up a rear end of a person and my parents taking me out of the film and saying we shouldn't have taken you to this <laughs> okay we are gonna sit down you and me and we're gonna watch me myself and irene again because that movie 
is legitimately maybe his most funny. I mean, from an actor's standpoint, that guy, he went off the rails so much in that movie, like inappropriate stuff that it was absolutely perfect. We're going to do that. Yeah, but parents, my dad took me to watch From Dusk Till Dawn when I was nine years old. Really? Never, have, you, have you ever seen that yeah, movie? Yeah, it's intense. Dude, so we didn't know what it was. We just thought it was about vampires, and I'll never forget. It was rated R, and I remember thinking, like, my dad took me to rated R movie. We didn't care. Like, I watched oh, yeah, mine The Godfather too. and stuff like that. But I'll never forget the scene where, like, the, the stripper comes out, and she's, like, doing her dance. I'm, like, I'm, like eight years old. And if, if you're wondering the question, did my dad take us home? The answer is no. I watched those vampires kill each other all night. It was terrific. I know. I saw The Exorcist when I was eight years old, and I think I was personally scarred from that moment. <laughs> that, was, I was just, that actually explains a lot. It that does, explains doesn't a lot it? about you right now. It Alex. really does. Yeah. Well, that and the me, myself, Irene explains an awful lot about my background. But you know what's so funny? <laughs> I haven't seen that movie since, so I think we should sit down and watch that because I think I would get a lot more out of that now after understanding the movie rather than when I was 12 years old watching it. Well, if there's going to be a movie we're going to watch together, it's, I tell you one thing, it's not going to be The Exorcist. No, I didn't think. I, I can't get anybody on board to watch that one with me, which, by the way, is top five in terms of horror movies of all time like you can't defeat the exorcist impossible but that's yeah, a story that, that's a story for another yeah. day uh, and the fact that it took place in st louis he creeps yeah creeped out right uh so yeah. offensively joe which totally got off on a sidetrack there but that's the best part of this week in hockey you don't know where this show is going to go um honestly there's god there's so many thoughts running in my head offense stick to it ferrario so, <laughs> Craig Berube has been juggling the lines these last few games, mostly because you're trying to find a recipe. You know, at one point it was, you know, 11 points in two games between Thomas Sundquist and Sanford, and then it was Thomas with Shannon Schwartz that resulted in the tying goal on uh, last night against the Predators. But do you feel like, Joe, that the juggling of the lines is hurting the consistency of offense? Um, you know what, Alex, I think if you were to ask a player, would they have more success and more offense if they were sticking with, um, two other guys, um, more consistently, I I think they would say, yes, I think the majority would say that you, you find better chemistry through repetition and repetition is because you consistently go out there together. I I think that's just a fact of hockey, but you also look at the St. Louis Blues, and this is this is the, uh, as Craig Berube finds himself between the rock and the hard place because as five on five offense continues to be an issue um, for this team. If you if you had to nitpick uh, some of the areas to continue to work on five on five scoring, it, it does need to get better. So the rock and the hard place for Craig Berube is uh, yes, you're winning games, and yes, you know that the philosophy of you know keeping guys together longer is better for chemistry and probably will increase the offense. But you're also looking at it where you're struggling five on five and you're struggling in games. And he's looking for just a spark. And I think right now that's why we're starting to see so many line uh, juggling in-game adjustments for Craig Berube uh, for that spark reason. And I think that he's had success with them. I'll be honest with you. Last season, uh, the St. Louis Blues did not really run into a lot of injury trouble, and they did not really run into a lot of like losing streaks under Craig Berube. He's only really won since he's been here, and they've been healthy to do it. So line, line adjustments really haven't been something he's had to do very much. But this year is different. They're dealing with a lot of injuries, and they're trying to find the right combinations. And one thing I do know, uh, Craig Berube understands the individuals on this team. He knows what gets them motivated. He knows um, some players you need to give them a hug. Some players they need to kick in the butt. And and Craig Berube 
sees something in a game with a player and he thinks, I think this player's on tonight. I'm going to give him a little sniff. We're going to give him a shift and, and, and just run with it. I mean, last night, for example, and this was just out of a freak accident, but Ivan Barbashev blocks a shot in that second period and he has to get off the ice because it looks like he's hurt. Zach Sanford's the next winger up. He hops over the boards and he has a shift with his old line mates and David Prawn and Ryan O'Reilly. Now, he finished the game with those two guys because he hopped out there and he got a shift with those guys because of the Barbashev injury, but they spent the whole time in the offensive zone, and that line was terrific, I thought, in that second half of that game. So I expect to see 12 back up there with 90 and 57, and that is the awareness that Craig Berube, he, he is dialed in on that bench. He sees something like that, and he thinks, I think this guy's on tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put him up with these two guys and see if this works. And we also saw it with Robert Thomas on that top line. Uh, he was terrific with uh, Braden Shen, Jane Schwartz, and they converted for the equalizer late in that third period. So it's one of those tough situations where as a coach, you would love just to keep the players the same and the lines the same, but you also you drive yourself crazy by putting the same guys out there over and over and over with uh, the five-on-five production not being very good. It, it'd make anyone go crazy, I think. No, I agree 100%. And it's, there, there's certain players that it's noticeable. You know, They may have hit a little bit of a lull. I mean, you look at Ryan O'Reilly's points, and he's doing an outstanding job. But if you talk to him, he's, he'll tell you this is not a good season for him in terms of offense. Same can be said about a Jaden Schwartz who's picking up points, but offensively he knows that he can provide more. As a coach and as a player, Joe, can a coach say anything or do anything to help get that player to the next level? You know, I think so. And I think that this is why, you know, we were talking about in the first hour, why these coaches are, are, are incredible and exceptional and the elite of the elite. Because uh, it's not really X's and O's, it's personalities and, and understanding personalities. Uh, I'll give you a quick story, Alex. You, you, you were watching the game last night. I, I was watching Craig Berube at that last, t- I think it was the second TV timeout in that third period. And he was pacing up and down the bench. The Blues were down 2-1 to one in the game in Nashville. Uh, Nashville had carried the majority of the play, but the Blues were starting to come. Craig Berube is going up and down the bench in that third period. They're looking for the tying goal, and he's pumping the- everyone up. He leans over. You can see he's having some words with Robert Thomas in his ear, and then you see him give him three really hard pats right on the back. Robert Thomas, a young kid, still very young and green into this uh, NHL career that he's going to have. In it. And the way it looks like, it, he's going to have a long one. Oh, yeah. But he's still learning, and he's a, he's a player that I think I think he needs to be kind of nudged along a little bit. He To me, he's a, you maybe need to reach out and give him a hug every now and then kind of a player. And I think that's how he responds very well, and he responds from getting good opportunities. And Craig Berube did that. The next shift, he steps over. Now, this isn't because Craig Berube did it. But Robert Thomas steps over the boards, makes an incredible uh, behind-the-back pass again to Braden Shen for that equalizer goal. So, you know, I think that Craig Berube understands um, the certain things that need to be said. And Vladimir Tarasenko may be a little different. Remember last year in that San Jose series, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, had, his play had dropped from Dallas. And he pretty much said um, to, to Vladdy, you can be one of the fa- – I think you are the fastest skater we have when you're skating. I mean, so that's that's kind of his – indirect way of him telling Vladdy that um, you're not playing fast. We need you to play faster, but he did it like in a compliment. So you can kind of see uh, how he worded that much different than how Jim Montgomery worded it in Dallas. But again, it kind of comes down to the different players. You know what I mean? Just kind of understand um, 
who jives with what, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, too. And again, you know, you juggle the lines. Craig Berube was incredible with not juggling lines last season. But as Joe mentioned, it's more because of the fact that you had zero injury problems and you didn't have to worry about juggling those lines. Let's take our final break on this week in hockey. We're going to come back and hit what's up with that. Two storylines, including a jersey that looks like a bib and some uh, some chirping from teammates. So we'll dive into that with Joe next as we wrap up this week in hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, what's up with that? My favorite segment here on This Week in Hockey as we have a few more minutes and wrap things up with Joe Vitale from Tampa. Joe, the first what's up with that for me is the Stadium Series jerseys between Colorado and Dallas. I don't know if you caught these. Dallas's aren't bad. Colorado's are god-awful. It's, so it's, basically, it looks like the jersey they're wearing a bib because there's just white diameter right down the middle that extends all the way down the jersey. Well, you know, I didn't see the Colorado ones out. I have seen the Dallas ones, and I, I, I agree. Classic green and white. Uh, what do you think about the leather glove look? Like, of course, they're, they're not made out of leather, but they kind of had that the color of a tan look. I kind of right. like it. It's old school. It, it reminds me of, like, real old school hockey, so I really enjoyed that. It's, and I thought the Dallas one was, in general, just put together so smooth, just with the, with the green and white, like you mentioned. You know, you got the old school letter D on the front of it, and then you got the leather gloves. Like, that's, that's about as good as you can get when it comes to an outdoor game. Well, I, I will say this. Have you seen the Nashville Predators yet? Yes, I did. Dude, those are awesome. Kind of that retro really look, yeah. like University of Michigan, and they, they actually spelt out Nashville Predators in cursive. I, that, those are probably my favorite of, of all of them this year so yeah. far. No, there's no doubt about that. But yeah, the Colorado run, that uh, that one wasn't done to perfection, I think. So the other what's up with that for you, and you can talk to this, Joe, uh, plenty of chirping goes on between teammates and have fun with it. So Tom Wilson uh, shaves off his beard he keeps his mustache for of course the no shave november or the movember uh but his his teammates were calling him tom Selleck in practice the other day they basically were saying at the end of it in the locker room that uh, i don't know i didn't know we signed tom Selleck to a tryout contract that's right. The Capitals tweeted that. That was hilarious. They said they, they signed Tom Selleck to a PTO, and this was right after Troy Brower just commits with the St. Louis Blues. Oh, man, that's that's the stuff I miss um, the most. And and for Tom Wilson, who, who by the way, is like an absolute man rock, and I think he yeah. actually pulled it off pretty well. Well, and you know what? It, it's hard to pull off a mustache. Believe me, I've it tried. Is. You either, There's two ways you could go with it. You either look like a serial killer with a mustache, or you look like Tom Selleck with a mustache. And when you can pull off the Tom Selleck, Look, you're 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 good to go. Or if you're Tyler Bozak, uh, you could pull off the Zorro look. Remember oh, yeah. he had that last year. He's well, you know, Tyler Bozak kind of got that clean shaven look. He's got good, you know, uh, jaw structure, yeah, good looking baby cat, face. baby face, and he had like this kind of skinny mustache in November last year, and he had like a little like black patch under his bottom lip. He looked and, like a French and- painter. Yes, he did. Every time I saw him, I was like, "I was like, what's up, Zorro? I did the old uh, Z signature uh, for Zorro. He loved it. That's fantastic. See, that's what people don't get to see in the locker room. The chirping is the best when it comes to hockey players. Joe, that is going to put a wrap on this one tonight, man. A phenomenal show. It was great to have you on your, uh, your ISDN hookup from your room in Tampa. And always appreciate getting the chance to talk hockey with you for two hours. Alex, awesome stuff. As always, I can never get enough hockey. I can never get enough Italian. So this worked out perfectly for me tonight. 
Uh, stay warm in St. Louis. I heard it's some some nasty weather coming through town here all throughout the Midwest for Thanksgiving. I know I'll be warm. Warm. I'm gonna I'm gonna soak up enough rays for both of us tomorrow. How does that sound? That sounds like a perfect plan. And you'll hear from Joe and Curbs on the game tomorrow night, six o'clock against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Have a great night, everyone. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.